Panther time. That was the one of the only times I've ever opened a seltzer with two hands in a long time. Uh, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Seltzer Time Podcast. It's your boy Ricky, aka Dick Chuck, aka the man behind the can at Seltzer Time Official. Here, as always, with my conversation accomplice, the man with the hunch about what's there, Travis. What is cracking fizzle fiends? Welcome to another episode of the Seltzer Time Podcast. And as always, we are stoked that you are here. It's an interview show, and this week we are talking to freelance journalist Kevin Kazwara, talking about some people that he's interviewed, talking about what it means to be a freelance journalist. Yeah, I was excited we got to hear kind of how like his process works a little bit and, and you know how he gets lined up with interviewing these people who are you know very interesting human beings. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good one. I'm excited. <laughs> From moose poop to Rodney Mullins, let's dig into this. <laughs> Cool, cool. Well, this week we are talking to Kevin Kazwara, freelance journalist and local Worcesterite. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. So we'll start off the top. Freelance journalism. What does that mean? Like, do you just write as you want? Um, no, uh, there is no write as you want. Like, I guess you can write as you want. Some people probably do that. Um, I am. It's more like spend lots of time researching things down aimless holes and hopefully finding a story in them like lots of late nights like going down rabbit holes of internet stories um like the other night I, I found a story that i wanted to know more about and there's no way to write it i just thought it was interesting of like like the world's biggest rabbit was stolen in england i heard about it's like that. A, yeah like right and i'm just like what is this like and so you just end up like finding who this pet detective is. And you're like, is there a story about a pet detective? Maybe, I don't know. So I just have like notebooks of um, random notes that I just like throw away eventually. Cause there's either I keep them and I have like files places and like and on my computer and stuff. But for the most part, they just end up like in the garbage. Um, Filed away in the waste paper basket. Yeah. Like I just know it's not a feasible project or like, you know, it's not, um, a lot of things come down like economics. Like, can I afford this plane? To, will this story pay for this plane ticket and uh, like a week long of this? And then will it pay for my time essentially? Nice. Yeah. So, and then there's a lot of rejection. So yeah, that's the part I'm curious about. So what you're describing, I have sketchbooks filled with bad ideas from design ideas I have that sound very similar to your concepts, but do you, do you come up with the ideas yourself for the stories and pitch them to publishers, hoping that somebody will pick it up or are they giving you assignments? So it goes both ways. So sometimes people will reach out and be like, Hey, look, I got this story idea. I read the story by you. Can you like write this? Like, uh, like many years ago, I got like an assignment to write about Frank DeFord, who's like a famous, um, journalist for sports illustrated editor of this, like one time, this thing called the national, which was supposed to be like a national daily newspaper of sports. And like, they had read a story I'd written so about another writer of sports stuff. And they were like, Hey, look, can you write this thing for the humanities medals? Like well, you, you kind of got this. And I was like, all right, done. Um, and so sometimes that happens, but a lot of times editors will be like, Hey, look, what do you got for me? Like, what, what's, 
you know, what's your best idea? And I'm like, ah, that's a totally subjective mm-hmm. concept to me. Like, like I remember I pitched around a profile of Marquis Daniels, the former like middling NBA player. He played for the Celtics, played for the yeah. Mavericks, um, Milwaukee Bucks. He was playing on the Bucks at the time, actually. And I was like, he does this thing where he's a rapper called Q6 and like it's him in like Gucci Mane. And this was like right around like before Gucci Mane like really became mainstream was like when he was like king of trap music. And I was like, I want to know more about this. Like who is Q6, right? And so a lot of people are like, he's a middling NBA player. Like he's not Allen Iverson. He's not Ron Artest like coming out with an album or Meta World Peace or the man formerly known as Meta. I don't know what he goes by now anymore. Um, I actually don't either. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot. Like, just I looked it up actually recently. Run our tests, but yeah. So he's not that, and so you just somebody's just like, I don't know the point of this. And then finally, an editor at this place called the Classical was like defunct. Classical was like, yes, please. Um, and that was this guy David Roth, who's like ran a, uh, ran a bunch of stuff at Deadspin, and now at Defector Media, uh, and he's like kind of like my go-to guy with my weird ideas. Okay. I'm like, I got this thing. Um, I was like, there's this really good lumberjack down in West Virginia. Like he like wins a lot of lumberjack competitions. I'd like to find him and meet him. And he was like, go ahead. I'll see you. So I was actually just talking about lumberjack competitions on Saturday night. So that's really weird that you brought that up because I've never talked about it in my life. And one of our friends, uh, his girlfriend in college was part of a lumberjack team. I don't know what, I forget what they're actually called, but yeah, that's kind of a wood chopping team. Something like that. They like, there was like a, it was the thing where you like run up a log and like cut, put a piece of wood. It was like that type of stuff. Like that's what this guy did. No. Yeah, it's uh Shay, Mike D's girlfriend. I was hoping you'd say that. She is so fucking <laughs> badass. Anyway, yeah. So that's what awesome. these dudes did. They climbed the tree, and this guy was like the best in like the United States, and like one of the best in the world at it. Um. And so, like, I went down and, like, watched him chop wood for a day and, like, met his family and, like, met his his uncle was also really good at it. And so, like, I met him. Um, his uncle was, like, a like a bowling ball. It looked like a bowling ball. And he's, like, even with, like, a perfectly round head um, that was, like, bald <laughs> and shaved. And, like, he was, like, a lawyer in West Virginia and in Charleston, which is the capital, which is a city, I guess. That was a long night. <laughs> like a long couple days uh but yeah i mean that's just that's how it works like is like oh um so what did i I, like i have some stuff out now like that i have to finish um and really it's about like looking for things that nobody like looking for an angle on something that nobody else is looking for okay and also yeah like yeah and like my niche is like finding weird people in the world or um like there's a former fiction editor at the New Yorker that I wrote about that makes cider in Western Massachusetts for like the oldest cidery, um, West County cider. And like field was fascinating to me um, because his dad, this sounds terrible to say he's fascinating, but his dad died in a cider accident in their family home. And like, I was like, so he had left his position as like a fiction editor at the New Yorker to go like research wine and fermentation and write a book. And then he had to come home. So it's just like a wild, like, you know, like, what is that story? Like, where do you send that to? Like, who am I like, Hey, this is a really good idea. Like people, some people drink cider. Yeah. Cider's a big thing. West County is amazing too. Like he makes some of my favorite American like ciders like ever. But he works at the New Yorker, you said? 
he used to work. He used to be a fiction editor at the New Yorker. Yeah. It's cool that it has like deep lineage in the family and it's just a weird, unique story. His parents like drove a school bus across the country from California and his dad was like a doctor, was like the ER doctor in Western Mass. Like that's like this American lifestyle deep dives. Like I find that kind of stuff enchanting and fascinating. Finding more about regular people that are just still weird or odd. Yeah, like I met that woman that went viral, like that made moose poop like uh like ornaments and stuff like she had like a viral video she was on tosh.0 like i met her as she was planning to go to on tosh.0 and she lives in like maine in the middle of nowhere and like they were like all these little news stories everybody was just aggregating the same like story yeah and i was like well who who is this woman like i mean that's great that she made like a youtube video like what what is that <laughs> like I, I mean like what like, we're just yeah. kind of mocking her like we're just you're just kind of mocking this woman and this story so who is she and like I met her and her like house had like moose poop everywhere and her like like dehydrating and like they're making all these things and she had been inundated with orders and like was planning to go to Los Angeles to Tosh.0 and she needed her passport or a new license or something and she's like where do you even get that in three days like I've never been on a plane this long you know and like wow. she's like I've never been to California um and you know and she's like uh she was talking she's like <laughs> This time she's like, I'm a lesbian and all like, I'm so excited to see the hot lesbians. And I was like, I love every moment of this. And she also made her own, like uh, she grew her own pot and made her own like oils and stuff in the like shatter. Of course she did. Like, of course it was just like did. a wild, wild experience with this like cats and dogs everywhere. It was just like, I, I, I had to leave eventually earlier than I wanted to. Cause I had such a migraine from like, she was just ripping, um, just dabs in front of me I think it was like kind of old school dabs like right in front of me and like her I think it's her niece or so some relative was sitting next to me who's in charge of like her PR or whatever her organization like they couldn't get orders out and she's just like smoking butts in front of me I was like there's just too much smoke in this house like I, I gotta go home oh, all like, in the house in a closed like small kitchen with like moose poop dehydrators all around me it's just like it was a wild experience but like at the same time i want to know who she was like i didn't just want to like write that thing and i was like who is she she's much more interesting than what you've given her yeah that's awesome i love how i was going through some of the um some of the pieces you wrote and like it's funny because you've interviewed like scott zolak or you like did a piece about scott zolak who i mean around here is like a god even though he's a backup quarterback but like mostly because of his post football playing career, but you've gone from like Scott Zolak to like the moose poop lady <laughs> in Maine. Well, like even Scott Zolak, like no, at the time was somewhat of, he was still like, I don't know. I, I find him still entertaining, but it was, I, I grew up with a, was it Gil Santos and I can't think of the other BCN announcer right now off the top of my head, like listening to the Patriots that way. Like my family was always like, we, I went to like, Patriots training camp at like Bryan College and my dad would go to where they were practicing at King Philip High School was like where my dad would go like, so like sick. I and I remember Scott Zolak as a kid because he drove a red Corvette um and it was a beautiful car especially as like a 10 year old and you're like what is that thing like you yeah. know like 1996 95 whatever those are so what is that beautiful shiny thing right like going from practice and he's the backup quarterback and i was like people have that like he's not even the real guy <laughs> and so i just found him yeah i like hung out went to a game like sat in the booth with them it was a wild experience that was uh that was strange um so i i kind of know 
through like channels through Mark Bertrand through UMass Amherst, like where he went. And so we kind of okay. know same people like the, he worked at the radio station there and I worked in the college newspaper there and we like have overlapping friends. Um, and he just like looked at me. It was like, at one point he's like, yeah, you're like the only Democrat <laughs> booth, like the only like left leaning man in this booth. And like the first thing I did, like the first guy I met is like the, the producer. And he's like, just giving me crap about, like Obama and I was like man like I don't I don't talk politics with you like I don't need that like yeah. I, I like go vote whatever you want to do you have a sweater vest like I'm not here to report about you <laughs> like this is middle-aged man in penny loafers and a sweater vest like it's just there's a yeah that was a good story actually Scott was really good um he that was right after the uh the Boston Marathon bombing cover story that Rolling Stone did. Okay. So it was kind of like a big deal because they like wouldn't allow like everybody at that point in Boston was like boycotting Rolling Stone. And like, so like, I remember I got in the car that morning and I heard like on Touch Your and Richard, like Enzo X and Rolling Stone. I was like, oh, no. I was like, they're just going to say terrible <laughs> things about me. I was like, I just, I don't know if I have this in me today. And it was good. It was like a, it was an interesting, interesting few days. Um, Thankfully, no one looked me up or called me and did anything. I could just hide. <laughs> it was like, nice. You know, it was like, nobody paid attention to the byline. I was like, thank God. There you go. <laughs> Damn, dude. So recently, yeah. I know you did an article on my dude, Tom Colicchio, Top Chef. Yeah. What was Tom. that like? I So, like, I, I've never watched Top Chef until probably, like, three months ago. Like I, I don't watch TV. So until like the pandemic started, my girlfriend's like, good. Now I've got you home. Let's watch stuff. So she's been <laughs> catching me up on all the things that people have been watching for, you know, 15 years or whatever. And we started watching Top Chef and I was like, cool. Like, this is fine. And I actually didn't like Tom at first. I only like Gail. And then we watched Tom's Hot Ones. And ever since then, I was like, this dude's fucking awesome. And like, the more I watch, the more I kind of get it get into him and then i know you released that story and it was pretty awesome i think tom is one of the more interesting people in food and also like i think top chef revolves around tom in a way that i don't think many shows revolve around a judge if that makes sense like definitely he's barely on screen but his voice is like kind of sort of like the guiding light and the reason i like top chef as opposed to most any other reality show is that it's really not about the dying like the forced like the first like three seasons are really kind of like towing the line of like oh yeah i rewatched every season for this story by the way and took notes really so like that's <laughs> like yeah it was a bit obsessive um and it was like you watch the evolution of the show and like by like season four it really is no longer like a reality show about the people yeah, like it's not about like that group dynamics and like oh this person's fighting with that person and oh like let's cut it so this person looks like they're mad at that person in a way yeah and so you need a guiding light and i always found tom to be like the guiding light of it like that's a really interesting thing to me i also just like the evolution of his style during the yeah. show like i'm like oh somebody like got him like a real stylist like no like he's not <laughs> like we've like we've moved like there's a certain point where we, like i can see over my generations of like Oh my god, style for this age group was like this, like the untucked shirt and like whatever, like look, like with jeans and a black square toed shoe. And I'm like, yep. I just never want to see a square toed shoe again in my life. <laughs> um, and like that's just that is 
like so for me tom is that way but he's not talking about any of that the other stuff all he cares about is the food on the plate and like that is what makes the show really interesting and i can't taste the food so it's very hard to make that transition work and they do a very good job and i also agree i think gail is great and i think gail um also doesn't get enough credit when i first started watching i was like who is she like whatever like you know it said like eventually like something about like an executive but i like talked to her for a long time and her story is fascinating too like she's like i want to be in food i want to do food writing while at mcgill university and like well then you should go to culinary school so she's like done the thing oh really yeah, so she like knows what she's talking. Like, well, I always like was like, well, yeah, oh, I, I figured she knew what she was talking about. I didn't know if she like actually went to culinary school though. Yeah, like she she's like she worked at Vogue and like you know Vogue or Vanity Fair. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but yeah, like she's got like the chops. Like she has as much as anybody. And like you, when you know that information, you can. I always heard it in her voice, but it was like, oh, this person from Food and Wine magazine is here, yeah. and you're just like, okay, like they just needed somebody. Like, you know, they just needed, like, they need somebody. But when you talk to her, like, you really know, she knows as much as anybody on anything. Um, awesome. Uh, and Padma was supposed to do season one and couldn't because of, like, some other prior stuff. So that's why, like, if you watch season one, you're like, who's this? Yeah, I know host? she's not on the first season. And then she kind of, like, becomes yeah. the face, I guess. Well, the, yeah, the, the show transforms with her there because she just carries the screen very well. Yeah. Um, but if you go back and read some stories about season two, like there's like one chef that complains about her and you're just like, after they get eliminated, they're like, oh, Padma like had to retake like things. And I was like, yeah, everybody takes retakes of their thing. Like, what do you, what business do you think this is? Like it's yeah. TV. Like, <laughs> uh, like it's nothing is real, but it is, I guess. Yeah, whatever. It is real, but it isn't real. Like it's reality TV, but it's not whatever. Yeah. Real adjacent. <laughs> uh, so what was it like, like meeting Tom? Is he as cool in real life as he is on the show? I think he might be, I, I actually think he's cooler. I think number one, he's better looking in real life. Okay. Which is a weird thing. Like you would think like there are a few people that I've met in my life that I'm like, oh, you're actually like a beautiful person. And he's like a good look. Like I was like, you're better looking in person than you are on television. Um, and I, I think he has a lot of interesting things to say. I mean, we spent like five, four or five hours on his back porch together in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, it was like a beautiful week in November. And then I like showed up in Long Island and like it was then like rainy and crappy and cold. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I like, sat in the back porch, it was like freezing. And I was like, this is great. Um, but yeah, he, I had been working on this story for like three or four, like four years. Oh, I had wow. been requesting to write that story at different That's... places and gotten like different places. Like I hadn't like it was supposed to originally run a new york magazine and then he like couldn't do it and then something else you know and like eventually vice picked it up and like he he just agreed finally i just kind of kept in touch with the publicist who, who was his publicist and like was like hey look when i'm just going to email you every six months like <laughs> if this happens it happens like if it doesn't i'm just going to keep emailing you so good luck um yeah and like that's that's kind of how it works like in yeah i think he is better in person and i talked to like 30 people that worked for him 30 or 40 like for like an hour each or so and like they all pretty much will tell you sorry 30 or 40 yeah i don't remember off the top of my head now yeah like when i i don't like there's no almost no quotes from people outside but like all that information about a lot of information in the story comes from them sure it's just not they're like perfectly quotable and i didn't it's like a three I think I'm just I more it's... impressed with how thorough you are with information gathering. And I still get it wrong sometimes. Like I get the color of his house wrong. I still think it's white, even though I have a picture of it and it's brown. Like I still think, it's ha- <laughs> I still see his house as white. Like that happens. Like I just, I emailed my editor. I was like, ah, is it white? Like, I don't know. Like every house there is white. Like I, I just like, you know, you have this like perception. And I was like, 
he sent me a message was like you got that wrong and i was like crap <laughs> i was like it's just i was like i really i can't when i get to like seven thousand words like yeah, yeah i was late yeah. I, I was months late on that story like i just couldn't get it right i uh oh. this this office was like in shambles at that point um that i'm in now and like i had nowhere to work and i just my house was falling apart it was great um but uh you figure out a way to make it work yeah i got it done and that was what mattered um see ricky's pumped about tom colicchio but i think i'm more excited about hearing about you uh, you interviewing rodney mullen and dayo on song like that those are two legends in the skateboarding world and then to talk yeah. about that 1997 video that really as you put it changed the face of modern day skateboarding like yeah that's a cool story Another story I had pitched for like two, three years, like just kept coming back to. And it's like, I just got to find the right. It's really skateboarding is really hard um, to write about because everybody wants like the new trend in skateboarding. And I'm like, yeah. the new trend is like, you know, like you're not going to get new tricks, right? Like we're not getting like a thousand new tricks anymore. Like that's out. So there's not, and like, then when people are good, um, they're not, like, I'm not a good skateboarder. Like, I can't skateboard anymore. I wasn't good then when I was a teenager and I'm not good now, my friends were much better. Um, I was more interested in filming and that Ronnie Mullen versus day one song thing is like a really interesting video. And like idea that I thought about was like, that was the first thing like we YouTubed, like, or like not YouTube, like we would find clips, like quick tying clips. I remember yeah. like on the internet, like download MP, like Napster download or like whatever download illegal video. Cause you couldn't, I couldn't even find it in a store. Yep. Like Eastern Border was here. I think there was one in Worcester at that time, like the like late nineties. Um, but there was the one in Framingham that I would go to, and like they only had a little bit of space. Like they didn't have enough space to carry these skate videos everywhere. So like you had to go find this stuff. Um, and I always thought that video was interesting because it's just two guys. Most videos like part it's five minute part, five minute part. You know, like put on and like I was like that's a lot of weight to carry in a video. Yeah, <laughs> like two people. <laughs> For like a half hour, it's like two 15 minute parts. Like that's crazy. Um, to not keep it, yeah. not make it stale, to keep it fresh, to keep innovating and doing news. I mean, and now knowing what we know about those two guys, like they released three or four of those, right? By the time yeah. they were done, like. Yeah, and then to figure out my thing was, is like, well, how do they meet? And so I was just wanted to know like, what, how do they meet? And like, they have these weird stories where like the first time they met, Daywan was actually skating out in front of the church that Rodney went to. And I was like, first off, Rodney, you go to church. Like, that's an interesting prospect here. Like, that's an interesting yeah. discussion to have. Um, but Rodney is also just a really genuine person. Like, I can text Rodney right now and uh, be like, hey, Rodney, like, what's the deal? Like, I that's um, I actually texted him after they uh, they tore down the, the skate park and over by the dive. And I was just like, what's the deal with this stuff? Like, what can they do? How can they raise money? And he just, like, a really sad conversation about how, like, skating is just not what people want in cities like it's not it's a very organic thing and like when you have those people living there um you know and doing those cool things like that like you're gonna get cool stuff and like you're gonna get cool people and you're gonna have innovation and you're gonna have artists involved and he's like but cities and older generations don't understand it what they want is like the new shiny thing and it yeah. was just he was just discouraged because he's like this is not new to your city and i'm sorry like and i was like damn like thanks for crushing my soul, Rodney. Yeah, so, um, I'm, but I appreciate the honesty. Like you got, yeah, and like that, 
yeah and like the thing with rodney was like that that yeah that story i had been working on forever and like i called like a lot of people and like when tony hawk calls you <laughs> so you did like, interview tony hawk i, I yeah, wasn't sure like, if you pulled that from somewhere else or that no you we talked, talked on the him. phone for like a pretty good amount of time um that's awesome when like people like that call you like some other people called too and i was like wow this is like uh like my 15 year old self is like uh like jumping up and down in my bedroom like type of moment and i don't have those like i don't i don't get starstruck i don't like you know like i, I was like one of my favorite players to watch in soccer is Lionel messi and i've stood next to Lionel messi like a few times right and like i'm just like it's the little guy he's like a little person he's just like a little guy it was next to you and like you're like that's cool um and like you just you go with it and but like when tony hawk and ronnie mullen called me and day one song i was like this is kind of a weird day in my life um yeah <laughs> when i could play you as a video game character yeah. i can get yeah. starstruck yeah. <laughs> well like i've been in baseball like in baseball locker rooms and fair. nba locker fair, rooms fair. and like i'm just like in the nfl locker rooms and like they're just kind of they kind of like they're just normal people to me i mean not nfl players those guys are really big and so are nba players like in fact nba players when you stand next to them you're like oh that's like a that's another person like they're like i often tell my wife like i'm like so like kemba walker plays for the celtics like i'm six foot like one six foot two he's like just barely shorter than me i'm like he's a very small man in the nba so when i was like when i i wrote a story about kevin garnett and paul pierce um going to the nets after they got traded and i went down to brooklyn and i'm like hanging out in the locker room waiting hours like they waited forever they tried to outweigh me and they actually ended up outweighing me and that's what i use as like a thing and it like those like the men in that locker room are the bit like they're just huge like you just don't realize how big they are like because they all look similar sized if that makes sense because they're all like together and yeah. same with nfl players i once was doing a i was like just working like i was at a new england revolution practice and the patriots were at training camp and two linemen came down were kicking a soccer ball and they were like do not tell anybody we're doing this <laughs> but two offensive linemen and the soccer ball looked like a little m&m in shape like it just like looked like a small like little Out of it was comparison. like yeah it was like a croquet ball to them like when really? you and i would stand on a croquet ball and i was like they could pop that like yeah. that could happen in a second. So it was like, just when you stand next to those people, it's like comparison. I'm always like to people, I'm like, you have no idea how large they are and how fast they move. <laughs> <laughs> like people are like, I could beat that guy. I'm like, you have literally no, idea. like you couldn't beat them just because they're bigger than you. Yeah. Their stride is three of yours. Just they could just like stand over you and put the ball in the net. Like it's like, wow. Oh, they, like do that stupid thing where they hold your forehead. Yeah. Yeah. Just waving you, your arms. Yeah. Well, like they banned dunking because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Luol Cinder. Like, like you don't think like this man is so much taller than <laughs> they literally had to change the rules because he could just. And those are like, and like that's like a thing in the college basketball. Like, well, you're done. No more dunking. Like, yeah, we're out. Like, so he just like would put the ball in the net. Like that's just to me insane. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry guys. I don't know if you know what charter internet's like, but that's what it's like. It does <laughs> yeah. that. So, are you working on? anything cool like or can people expect anything from you soon you still kind of pitching stories and yeah so i got like what is it like three or four things right now um i'm trying to finish a book of essays um, oh whoa that's a little more difficult um so i'm trying to do that I'm trying to like that's like in preliminary talks with people and then i have like a I have a big story for Boston Magazine and I just hope it doesn't get killed. It's like also that I've been working on for like three years. Um, right now Yikes. I have a 15,000 15, word draft 
it is like uh needs to be cut down to four so it's eleven thousand words that i have to cut so that's a lot um oh. and then i have like I, I got a new york times style feature like that i'm working on that should should be good um we'll see uh it's all over zoom this one so it's like very hard for me like to figure out what to do um i'm very much a tactile like go places person sure most stories i write like i meet the main person in this one i have to interview them over zoom many times because like traveling to england is just a little too difficult um (laughs) even as a vaccinated person like they're just not going to insure me and like that's i don't blame them um makes sense yeah it's like yeah i had some really cool stuff happen and then the pandemic hit so like i had just finished a big feature for vice on dairy farming in vermont and was like let's talk about heroin and needle exchanges and like stuff and they were like yeah and i was like there's this cool like program in maine that i like heard about and i was like let's go do that and they're like yeah and i was like and it's like nationwide now so can i go to west virginia and then like literally they're like the day i had my call with my editor he's like we're grounding all reporters oh i was like that's fun um and totally understandable uh yeah. so there's like the, like stuff like that happens um and so like i'll come back to that that's a story i've been pitching for like two years before that and trying to find the right editor um and that's also like i don't know a lot of people think like a journalist at like a newspaper like you get to know your editors or like at a magazine and like i have to like follow them kind of because everybody's kind of getting fired and laid off and let go and somewhere new um and so like you kind of have to like find somebody you trust and like somebody that knows your sensibility a little bit and that's the hard part um because sure. i yeah I, I, so i've explained to people like i write backwards like i don't write sentences the normal way so i have to like rewrite everything okay um so like everything comes out in kind of like a jumbled thought and then i have to like make them into coherent sentences like structurally <laughs> i know exactly um, what you mean quite yeah. literally i write backwards and have to rewrite everything yeah it's like a it's a really frustrating process but like it's part of what i like but so if i don't have an editor some editors are like well, what the hell does this sentence mean i'm like oh, i didn't fix that one <laughs> and i was like ah <laughs> like, there's a graph in here it doesn't really make sense in my head like it makes sense here but i can't get it out like yeah. it's like you know like i just need somebody to just make sure i'm like going somewhere can you just is it like a like can you find the thought and then i'll we'll fix it and so sometimes that you know it takes like a, somebody that's understanding of you um as I said, David Roth, but like Vice and stuff, we would just get in arguments over like semicolons because he loves them and I hate them. Um, and so when you have somebody like that, though, that like understands you, it's really helpful um, to do any of this creative work because then you can bounce ideas off each other and talk about it. It also helps if editors call you instead of talking to you via email because like just talking through things is much easier when you get up to like over like 2000 words when you get up to like four or 5,000 words, things to me to make a lot of sense. And then you make like a lot of sense that you need to keep your reader structure is super important. I mean, I, I like go on, like you can be the best writer in the world, but if your structure sucks and like you just give everything away too early or you don't trust your reader enough um, or if you're playing with them too much, or, there's just so many things that can go wrong when you get to like a really big point. Um, the thing that I read most is like, frustrating to me is when like a writer is like pandering to a writer i mean a reader okay. like they've, they've come here like you don't pander to me don't like make me feel like don't talk down to me don't talk down to your subject um don't make it cutesy and like that that is all like comes through like good editing too like your editor should be like no like 
trust these people have come to you like they trust that you know everything when you like i say like i interviewed like 30 or 40 people like i'm trying to know everything so like i bought all of tom's cookbooks when i did tom clickio's story i watched i went through the archives of like tom clickio like i went through like the the new york times archives and like a news bank archives um i've been working on a profile of jalen brown for three or four years celtics small forward guard And like, I've talked to high school coaches, like former like teammates, like AAU coaches. And then I like went through the banks of the Atlanta newspapers, like about his high school career and AAU career. Like, like you have to like trust that you know every detail so that your right, your reader trusts you. Like, don't, don't make it like, don't make them know, like, don't tell them like, I know everything and you don't like, right. Like that's kind of what you're doing when you're pandering them. It's like, I know everything. I'm the authority. Or like, I don't know enough, so I'm going to write around the fact that I don't know enough. Okay. Um, yeah. So, I mean, because some of my favorite profiles were like write-arounds where like the, the person didn't cooperate. Um, and that becomes part of the story. Yeah. Yeah, or you just don't make it known that they didn't cooperate. You can do that. Like, you can okay. do a very good job of that if you talk to enough people. I understand what you're saying now. Okay. Yeah. Like if you get the details, you can fill in everything. Like sometimes like talking to people actually slows you down. Like the Colicchio profile, part of the problem I had was I had too much of him okay. and not enough of the other people telling me things that he won't open up. Because like you're interviewing me now and I'm telling you certain things about myself, but I'm, I can steer the conversation away. You could cherry pick where you want to go. Yeah. Like my wife already, well, she's like, don't embarrass us. Like, cause I will cherry pick and I'll go to some safe spaces that like are funny, but might not like, they'll be funny here, but they're not at all. Like I know where I'm going to get out of something. Okay. And so when you talk to some people, that's what happens. And that's, that's actually why you want to interview them like more than once. Cause you want to, if you can, cause you want to like get them to open up and let their guard down. Okay. If that makes sense. No, yeah, that absolutely no, makes sense. Well, the, the more times you talk to somebody, the more comfortable you are talking to them. So yeah, they're be a little more candid. Yeah, it's not even it's not even the candidness. It's just the our memories are really funny things too. Um, sure. So, yeah, and so like you can spur a thought by talking to them again, which then gives you the details you need of the previous conversation, because um, your brain will be thinking about it subconsciously in between those two conversations. Fascinating. <laughs> That's amazing. I've read I've read way too many things about like reporting and writing about this stuff, like to like. <laughs> Like but to your point, it shows that you're an authority on the subject matter and it, you you care enough about what you're doing to become as good as you can be at it. Yeah. Like when I wrote about beer, like I brewed beer, like I was like, I'm going to learn how to brew beer. Like, just, like, I, like when I was writing beer reviews for people and writing beer articles, I was like, I'm just going to go like I should learn how to brew beer before I can write about this. Yeah. Like why would I, I can't judge your beer if I don't actually know what you're doing. That makes sense. And that's the hell out of that. I'm like, my beers are fine. They're okay. Yeah. But I've I only brewed that. beer once. I love beer and I love pouring it. I love talking about it. I fucking hate brewing it. It is not a thing that I enjoy doing at all. Do it on an electric stove. It's miserable, right? Like, it's just like, what is the point of this process? Like, what am I doing? Why is there like, why does everything have to be so sanitary? Like, like, I don't, like bottles will explode and you're just like, why? There's glass everywhere. Like, yeah. none of this is good. Um, so that's why I stick to smoking weed. See, See Kevin, so you should grow weed to learn how to like talk about more weed. There you go. That's your incentive to grow weed, I guess. You know, it's oddly enough, I write a column for Pulse magazine about five or four twenty in the five oh eight, but I don't grow my own weed. But I should. I should write it that's for the it. column. 
that, and that's a great column. Like, what am I doing as a home? Like I smoke this stuff. Like what, what am I learning by growing it? That's a great idea. All right. Uh, where can our listeners find your writing? Where can they find you online? Oh man. Um, I guess I'm on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so how do you spell like a Polish last name, right? At K-K-O-C-Z-W-R-A at K-Kazwara. That's really, I mean, that's really it. Or you can just maybe somebody like Ricky will share it or Travis, you'll share it. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, we, we will certainly will. share it. And then KevinKazwara.com, of course. Yeah, the great... <laughs> Great build your own website on Squarespace. <laughs> oh, you're so selling yourself short, man. It's nice and clean and simple. No lines, baby. No, a lot of white spaces. I like white space. It's very clean. That's, yeah, that's how you do it. And there's a picture of a dog. Like, who doesn't want a picture of a dog? Right? Dogs on everything. That's everything. <laughs> uh, we'll, put, we'll put it down in the show notes so everybody can find it. But thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on and sharing some stories about journalism. What Thanks, it's like. guys. It was really fun. Yeah. Thanks, man. Glad we finally got to do this. Welcome back, us. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that was awesome. Kevin's great. I've known him for, uh, it's like, I don't know how long now, a couple of years, just through like Strader and all those guys and then through the dive. But yeah. Um, I can't wait to actually meet him in person because no, he's, a nice he's guy, super man. rad. And it turns out we kind of live close to each other. I think I yeah. cut out that <laughs> bit, but we learned that off air. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I always thought it was cool how he was able to interview like such cool people. I'm, I'm pretty sure he interviewed John from Mamaru too. I don't know. If I he, saw I that. Brought it up. It was on yeah, the Boston I Globe. Him, yeah, I remember him coming into the dive and like interviewing him and stuff. And I didn't know if anything ever happened with it. But yeah, so no, it was cool. Uh, getting to interview Scott Zolak and hear those stories, and then like obviously getting to interview Tony Hawk. Yeah, that's what. Sick. There's not many people that would make me starstruck outside of like. Pharrell and uh, like maybe George Clooney, but Tony Hawk is one person that I would be like, holy shit, this is sick. <laughs> there's a lot of people I'd say, holy shit, this is sick, but there's like only a, a small handful that I would be like, I might be nervous right now. <laughs> Tony's one of them. Now that I'm older, it, it like I don't get as starstruck. But like I think Tony Hawk would get me. I think if I actually yeah. met Tony Hawk in person, I wouldn't know what i would call him mr hawk i would feel necessary i don't know i'm not even this like i can't skate to save my life same i'm a fucking dumpy rollerball like that doesn't belong on a skateboard yeah no it's just tony hawk's cool i i i don't know we could do a whole episode we should do a whole episode about how awesome tony hawk is because i could go for hours we can and do very few of those hours will have anything to do with skateboarding this summer, this summer, we will do an episode of our show, which comes out in two days, where Ricky and I play Tony Hawk, and it'll be like uh, like a video game. We'll screen cap it and just have a normal conversation, but we'll play I'm Tony Hawk. It. I'm into it. That'll be a fun fucking episode. Let's we might even st stream that on Twitch. Let's do it. All right. Well, until we figure that out, you could find us at seltzertime.com. I'm Hunchback Travis on most social media things. Uh, you guys can find me at DickChuck77, Seltzer Time Official, every platform. We out here. Yeah, find us, friend us, love us. Yeah, no, that, that about sums it up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>